Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, uh, Morty visits Dr. Saul, uh, the veterinarian, and says, you know, my dog has a, has a big problem. Dr. Saul says, so, so tell me about the dog and the problem. So, well, it's, it's a Jewish dog. His name is Irving, and he can talk. You know, and says Morty, he could talk, the doubting doctor. says, well, that's, that sounds great. I don't understand what the, the problem would be. It was, well, Morty says, okay, okay, well, just watch this. And he, uh, he, he points at the dog, and he throws a stick, and he says, Irving, fetch. And uh, Irving, the dog, he starts to walk to the door, right? And he turns around and says, well, why are you talking to me like this? You always order me around like I'm nothing, and you only call me when you want something. And then you make me sleep on the floor with my arthritis, and you give me this fakakta food with all the salt and the fat, and you say it's a special diet? Oh, it tastes like drech. You should eat it yourself. Have you ever tried dog food? And you ever take me for a decent walk? No, it's out of the house, a short pish, and right back home. Maybe if I could stretch out a little, this sciatica wouldn't kill me so much. I, I should roll over and play dead for real for all you care. <laughs> and Dr. Saul, the veterinarian, is amazed. This is, this is remarkable. What, what could be the problem? This is great. And Morty says, are you kidding me? Didn't you, didn't you see this? The dog has a hearing problem. It's terrible. I said fetch, not kvetch. Terrible. So, <clears throat> this, uh, this leads us to uh, uh, this week's Parsha. As Margaret mentioned, it has a lot of kvetching, yes, or, or as we say in English, complaining. We're, you know, we're dramatically delivered from enslavement, and we go right to the complaint department in Sinai. I'm not sure where it was exactly, but that's where we go. Apparently, this is a very natural human response. We tend to complain, don't we? We see the negative. And, and how do we usually respond when people complain to us, when we're the complaint department, right? Usually, we don't take it so well. So how do we think that Hashem handles it when we complain to him, who is the Lord. Do you think that he gets frustrated the way that we might get frustrated? Well, this is truly a narrative of God's grace, provision, and parental kindness, as Margaret alluded to. After we come out of Egypt, the Parsha explains that we are given uh, a fire to guide us at night and a cloud to guide us by day. Uh, most likely, it looked something like this. So just so we can have a sense of what that looked like. Do we have a picture up? Yes. Okay, so this is a historical picture of the fire by night and the cloud by day. Okay, now if this isn't a sign of God's caring, you know, I don't know what is. Look at those punams, just, especially the one on the right. Very nice. Okay, so remember, we're coming out of some very intense plagues, right? And the guidance of this sign reminds us 
that judgment is never the final answer. Can I hear that back? Judgment is never the final answer in the biblical narrative. But always, what is the final answer? Hope and restoration and grace. So we have coming out of the plagues, but then we have this fire and the cloud, right? There's a very loving interpretation of this later in the prophet Isaiah. He looks back on this episode with the the fire and the cloud, and he prophesies uh, that they will reappear as a sign of hope and redemption out of intense judgment. And uh, this is very interesting. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. When Adonai washes away the filth of the women of Sion and cleanses Jerusalem from the bloodshed in it with a blast of searing judgment, Adonai will create over the whole site of Mount Sion and over those who assemble there a smoking cloud by day and a shining flaming fire by night. Remember, the redemption comes after judgment. For the glory will be over everything like a chuppah. Yeah, a chuppah. A sukkah will be give shade by day from the heat. It will also provide refuge and cover from storm and rain. So this reveals that God's prophetic purpose for the fire by night and the clouds by day is protection and guidance for Israel, just like a chuppah and a sukkah. Let's, let's try that. A chuppah and a sukkah. One more time. Okay, so what is the chuppah? What is that? That's the wedding canopy, right? So that means that the, the, uh, that is a, it's, 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 it's like saying that um, it's a symbol of covenantal faithfulness. Think of a, of a wedding, right? Under, under a covering, okay? In a sense, uh, God is our faithful husband. We see that imagery throughout the scriptures, amen? And so Hashem wants to be, in a, in a sense, our sukkah. He wants to be our shelter in the desert, our refuge, our protection. The presence of God is real, and God wants to dwell among us and through us covenantally, just like a chuppah and like a sukkah. You got it. So it's those images that are, um, that are giving us a sense of what God wants to do. And so how do we respond to seeing the, this fire and this cloud guiding us? You know, it's, our, it's a great GPS, right? Yeah, it's wonderful. How do we respond to this uh, loving act? Well, let's take a look at Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. And let's, I thought we could act this dialogue out, okay? So, uh, uh, so let's uh, kind of uh, decide who we want to be. Uh, there's the, the kvetchers, okay, oh, we have a kvetcher here, and we have uh, Moses, right? Anyone want to be Moses? Yeah, okay, all right, so we have some people, that, now, if you're going to be a kvetcher, you got to kind of get into it, right? We got to really believe, you know, okay, so, uh, so uh, work on your accent and, and prepare yourself, okay? So here we go, I'll be the narrator. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, And saw the Egyptians right there coming after them. In great fear, the people of Israel cried out to Adonai and said to Moshe. Okay, Kvetchers, you ready? Okay, here we go. Was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the desert? Why have you done this to us, bringing us out of Egypt? 
Didn't we tell you in Egypt to let us alone? We'll just go on being slaves for the Egyptians. It would be better for us to be the Egyptian slaves than to die in the desert. Oh, give yourselves a hand. That was good. All right, where's, where's my Moseses? All right, so Moshe answered the people. This is what he said. Stop being so fearful. Remain steady. And you will see how Adonai is going to save you. He will do it today. Today you have seen the Egyptians, but you will never see them again. Adonai will do battle for you. Just calm yourselves down. Just calm down. Doesn't he sound like a parent, you know, to a whiny child, right? You know, just calm down. Stop complaining. It's going to be okay. All right? So, now, uh, to sort of empathize with the Israelites, you know, because we can pick on them for complaining, uh, we have to remember that they're staring down at a mighty army. So they're between the, the army and the Red Sea, and the odds don't look good. So perhaps they have a reason to be complaining. And, uh, but notice the, the attitude, right? They, they, they came out of Egypt, right? They saw all the plagues. They saw this mighty deliverance. They saw how God protected them and brought them out of Egypt, and they saw the fire and the cloud. And, and still, that attitude with the, that things would be better if they had never left, right? What can I say? What can I say? We just love to kvetch. You know, it's, it's, it seems to be part of us. So then, of course, what happens? The parting of the sea, right? We all know this happened now. Right, but I want to. I want us to imagine if you were an Israelite at that time, and you, of course, you'd never seen anything like this, right? And 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 you look up and you see it's a wall of water, right? Water isn't supposed to do that, right? But it's there's there's a wall of water, and uh, and Moses raises his staff, he parts the sea into two, and you're able to walk through the dry land, and then after you get through, the water swallows up the Egyptian army that was after you, okay? It's, it's this act of walking through the Red Sea. This is a pivotal moment in, in our history, in the narrative of Scripture. This is the final redemptive rescuing act that got us ultimately out of Egypt. This is supposed to define the Jewish people, right? It's supposed to define us as a redeemed people of God. Uh, the Torah says... Remember you were slaves in Egypt, so therefore be kind to the stranger. Remember I brought you out of Egypt, um, in parentheses, through the Red Sea, so therefore use an honest balance. That's from Leviticus. Uh, If you Google a picture of the Exodus, what do you think you'll see? You'll see the Red Sea, right? That's, That's the image that we have in our minds, right? It's this iconic image. Joshua crosses over the Jordan River, with the Ark of the Covenant. And that's also through dry land. And that points back to this event, right? Yeshua's immersion in the same river, the Jordan River, it points back to this event. Remember that marked the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, the realization of his messianic purpose on the earth. And so the redemption through the waters, it creates uh, from an enslaved people, now we are a redeemed people. So there's a transformation that comes as we walk through the, the, the sea on dry land. Amen? 
So we see that God's response in this case uh, to, to our complaining is what does he do? He rescues us. Amazing, right? Maybe this is just a fluke, though, right? Surely God would grow tired at some point of our kvetching. Okay, so for a moment, our fearless leader uh, leads us in something that is the opposite of complaining. Hmm, what is this? This would be the first worship song ever in the Torah, okay, led by the worship leader at the time, which I think was David Haller. No. I'm being corrected, it was uh, Moses again. Sorry, sorry about that. He's not that old. Okay, so so it was Moses singing the song of Moses, also referred to as the song of the sea. This is the archetype, the prototype for musical worship, and it's established here. And they worship God in song for being rescued by his goodness. Can you imagine they just break out into this song? It's, it's fundamental How fundamental is it, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. I'm so glad you asked. It's so fundamental that it is sung, the song of Moses, in the age to come. Do we know this? Yes. Let's check it out. Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 4. Okay, this is what it says. Those defeating the beast, the beast in this case is a symbol of the the kingdom's that are in rebellion against God. So God is bringing ultimate redemption here. Its image and the number of its name were standing by the sea of glass, holding harps, which God had given them. It sounds like they're going to do what? They're going to sing a song, right? They were singing the song of Moshe. They were singing this ancient song from Exodus, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. So it kind of got updated a little bit, right? But it's, it's uh, we could say, um, what is that called in music when it's uh, a reprisal? Yes, it was a reprise of that song, right? And this is what the song says. Great and wonderful are the things you have done, Adonai, God of heaven's armies. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, Adonai. Who will not fear and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy, All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. And if you look back at the song in Exodus, it's borrowing from those those words and those images to create the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Okay? So, God's people will someday be rescued, just like in the Exodus, but from all evil oppression. And we will sing the song of Moses. Yeah, sounds good. So um, things are going good. So let's go back to the narrative of the Israelites. We have a sense of the, uh, the, the importance of this song. And they've sung their song of redemption. So we pick up in Exodus 15 verses 22 through 25. And uh, what do you think is going to happen now? Well, let's check it out. Moshe led Israel onward from the Sea of Suf. They went on they went out into the sure desert, but after traveling three days in the desert, they had found no water. They arrived at Marah, but couldn't drink the water there because it was bitter. That's why they called it Marah, which is bitterness. The people grumbled against Moshe and asked, where's our kvetchers? What are we to drink? Very good. 
Uh, Moshe cried to Adonai, and Adonai showed him a certain piece of wood, which when he threw it in the water, it made the water taste good. Then Adonai made laws and rules of life for them, and there he tested them. Okay, so now we're complaining about bitter water, okay? So we came out, you know, we sang the song, but once that problem is solved, okay, surely at this point, there should be some expression of thankfulness. I think this is the part of Scripture where we get a giant thank you card for, for God and Moses, and we fill it out, right? Do we, does anyone remember this? No? Okay. Maybe I'm imagining it. So let's, let's check it out in Exodus 16, verses 2 through 3. There in the desert, the whole community of the people of Israel grumbled against Moshe and Aharon. Man, seems to be a pattern here. The people of Israel said to them, We wish Adonai had used his own hand to kill us off in Egypt. There we used to sit around the pots with the meat boiling, and we had as much food as we wanted. But you have taken us out into this desert to let this whole assembly starve to death. What are you doing, Moses? Okay, that's my uh, sort of derivative impression of Seinfeld, I think, coming out there. Oi, oi, oi. All right, well, this, at this point, uh, we're complaining about food, so what happens? We get uh, the, the lovely substance to eat in the desert out of the sky, which is called manna, right? It roughly translates to, what is it? Because the Israelites saw it, and they said, what is it? Ah, you're ca- catching on. Very good. Perhaps that would make us thankful, finally, for the redemption from Egypt. Well... The end of this week's Parsha in Exodus 17, uh, this is what we read. It didn't quite make us into a thankful people yet. We kvetched again about not having water, so then Moses struck the rock. Uh, this time he was supposed to strike the rock, so it's okay, and uh, we get some water. So, why have I taken us through the, this entire Parsha, through the, the journey, this uh, maybe a, a tour de kvetch, Right? We could call it, why? who wants to listen to someone complain for an entire sermon, right? What's the good in that? Well, the interesting thing is to see from God's perspective, right? To see God's patience and grace and provision through even our complaining. He Remember, we are rescued from slavery. There's the parting of the Red Sea. There's water in the desert. There is bread from heaven. These are things that a good, faithful parent would give their children no matter what, right? Even if they were ungrateful. And what ungrateful children the Israelites seem to be. Now, I'm not giving us a license to kvetch, right? As if any of us needed that, right? But rather, next to our kvetching, we see God's faithfulness and compassion are shown to be so much greater, right? It should give us an awe, an awe for his compassion. This means that he rescues us not because of our own goodness, but because of his goodness. God can certainly take our complaining, but we don't want to stay there, right? We don't want to be perpetual kvetchers, kvetchual perpetuers, anything like that, right? 
Beloved, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? It is the love of a patient father who changes our hearts over time. He brings us from grumbling and groaning to uh, a people that give thanks. And so we need to ask him, though. We need to partner with God to open our eyes, to see the rescuing that he has done in our lives, to, to focus on these things. I have seen and heard testimony after testimony of God rescuing people from various things, from addiction to drugs, for example, the, uh, the great um, Dr. Michael Brown, who will be at uh, this conference, the Restore Tacoon Conference, speaking. God rescued him from, from that. He was stuck. He was trapped in that and brought him to uh, a relationship with, uh, with himself. Um, uh, this Earlier this week, I saw a video of uh, a, a former atheist. His name is Ian McCormick, and he was stung by five box jellyfish. And, and one of those jellyfish alone, this type, is enough to be lethal, and he was stung by five. So he knew uh, that he was uh, not in good shape at this point. Um, and so as the poison was entering his body, uh, his life uh, flashed before his eyes in the, in the ambulance, and uh, he cried out to God to save him. He was thinking about um, his own selfishness, and he saw the emptiness of his life, and he, and he cried out. And, uh, and then he, he actually died, and he experienced uh, a moment of, of judgment in the outer darkness. And then he experienced a ray of light, and he spoke with God, and uh, he had a conversation with God, and he was given a second chance. And at this point, his body was actually in the morgue, okay? And uh, then he, he woke up, he opened his eyes, and uh, the doctor in the morgue uh, that was testing his foot, like, ran away. Like, because that's not something that usually happens. Um, he was very afraid. And this man, uh, Ian, uh, is a, now a pastor with an international ministry, and he shares uh, his experience about how God rescued him from death. Only God's intense goodness and kindness in rescuing us can melt a complaining heart and transform it, right? And the truth is that God has rescued all of us. He's rescued all of us, not just um, a dramatic story like Ian's, but all of us who have trusted in Messiah Yeshua, he has rescued us from death. Amen? So the next time we feel like kvetching, let us instead, let us try to meditate on his goodness and his rescuing love, which are fully revealed through Yeshua the Messiah. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray.